Okay. I do not know how to say anything right now. I'm a mess after those life stories. It's very powerful. Okay, Brad asked me to mention something, too, uh, that's very easy for me to mention. Most of you probably don't know this, but in 2007, I moved to Grand Rapids only knowing one person. And uh, having really, he didn't have any friends either. And so um, <laughs> the holiday season it got kind of weird sometimes because if you, you know, sometimes don't have money to get home. I don't have any family within 100 miles from here. And... Something that made a really big difference for me was when I came to Crossroads, several people really adopted me into their hearts. I can think of like five people at the top of my head right now that I could walk in Christmas morning and just sit underneath the Christmas tree or whatever the family does and uh, feel totally at home. And so if for any reason you are like me or, or how I was and Christmas is just different this year, um, there has been several families that have came forward to say that we want to have some people with us that maybe don't have anybody. And so if you need a, a chair and a table and a family this Christmas, um, come talk to Brad Claver up here. He's like this tall and his blonde hair um, and a name tag that says Brad after the service and tell him that you just need a place and he'll plug you in and figure out a good fit for that. Don't be a hero this holiday season. <laughs> Hit a family. <laughs> I think that communicates it. <laughs> if you are like me and you need a Bible right now, there are some people passing out Bibles. <laughs> Here's actually, no, oh, that's Greg's. I don't want to. Okay, perfect. Please turn to Luke chapter 6. Um, but before you do, I want to bring some stuff before you and just set it on the table. If you want to eat it, eat it. If not, that's fine. We have some hot pockets in the freezer. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's go back in time, if you will, in your mind to like 703 BC. And uh, just recently, the Assyrian king. Sargon II has passed away, and his empire is kind of being started to be facilitated by his son, Sennacherib. It's easy to remember if you're a meat eater like me and you're hungry, you need a snack of ribs, right? Sennacherib. Sennacherib is trying to... <laughs> You'll remember that. You're welcome. Sennacherib. If... If you are a part of the empire, the Assyrian Empire at this point, in your city-state, and you want to stop paying tribute, or if you want to stop renting your city from the, uh, the empire, this is a great time for you to say you don't want to do that anymore and rebel as the authority changes hands. Maybe you'll slip through the cracks. So Sennacherib is on the move. He's got to move all over trying to get different cities uh, back in line and either destroy them or collect his rent from them. And so there are so many cities right now trying to say, we don't want to do this anymore. And as usual, Israel's right in the middle of all of this. And they don't want to do it either. And so enter pro the prophet Isaiah. You might have heard of him. 
Isaiah is sitting at his computer one morning and he gets an email that says, hey, we've decided that we don't want to pay, we don't want to be a part of this, so we're going to stand up against the Assyrian army. Great. He says, I love that. Hazak, hazak, let's do this. He gets another email that says, oh, by the way, we, um, we got a partner that's going to go in with us, Egypt. And he's like, Egypt? Egypt? That's never been a good idea. When do we ever come out on top when we partner with Egypt? We just get ripped off and we just eventually bowing down to their gods or bowing down to them. Don't do it with Egypt. Come on. And uh, you can read in Isaiah 28 uh, his response to kind of this. Say verse 14 where he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers and rulers of Jerusalem. You boast, saying we have made a covenant with death. <laughs> you, you brag and say we have built a, a refuge out of falsehood and a shelter out of lies. Listen to what the sovereign Lord says. Behold, I have laid a stone in Zion, a precious and tested cornerstone with foundations and whoever trusts in it will never be put to shame. I will make righteousness my plumb line and justice my measuring line and your covenant with death will be annulled. And when the overwhelming scorch passes through the land, Sennacherib, you will be beaten down. Seven oh one, Jerusalem gets sacked. Sennacherib says things like, "I have Hezekiah put up in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage," and things just go from bad to worse. As you can see, this is the beginning of exile, really, and things never really go back to the way they were. They never go back to the way they were. Yeah, sure, there's high points here and there. Sorry. But hindsight's twenty twenty, And eventually people start asking the question, if Egypt wasn't something we were supposed to build on, if they weren't who we were supposed to trust, is this foundation, then who is the foundation? What were, what's the foundation? What were we supposed to build on? Some people have different ideas. I've picked three. Fast forward about 600 years and go with me to the uh, coast of the Dead Sea, uh, Kirbet Qumran. I have a picture of a map and another picture of a place. Sorry about, um, thank you. Okay, here's cave four. Dusty but trusty. Here's Kirbet Qumran. You can go there. It doesn't look like much now, but... Um, there's a group of people that live here and have dedicated themselves to a life of holiness and seclusion and are getting off the grid. As you probably have guessed it, this is where we found a lot of scrolls that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is right across the street from the Dead Sea. I have another picture that shows that. Turn around. There it is. And so... One of the greatest scrolls that have been found in the Dead Sea was the great scroll of Isaiah. Wait a minute. They have the scroll of Isaiah here? 
They've got Isaiah 28. I wish there was a way that we could know what they thought of Isaiah 28 being. Well, I'm glad you asked. There actually is. One of the first scrolls that were found called the Rule of Community has a a very interesting quote about this. Read this with me. Um, In the council of the community, there shall be 12 men and three priests, perfectly versed in all that is revealed in the Torah, whose work shall be the truth, righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and humility. When these arise in Israel, it shall be that tried wall, that precious cornerstone, whose foundation shall neither rock nor sway. Their idea is leaders. We get these 15 leaders perfectly versed in all that's revealed in the law, and they'll, and they'll show us. Maybe in their mind they're thinking, man, I wish that they would have just listened to Isaiah, listened to their leaders, and not for nothing, they're out in the wilderness because of corrupt leadership. But the question is, is that what God had in mind? The tried wall, the precious cornerstone with foundations, Is this the foundation that we should build on, build our lives around, that will protect us from the overwhelming scourge that will pass through the land? Maybe. I don't want to rule leaders out just yet because I'm a leader. Here's another option. You may be thinking, Dan Mike, I mean, that's Qumran. Didn't you read the verse? It says, in Zion I will lay a cornerstone. Maybe we should go dig somewhere up near Jerusalem. Well... There is another option, but first I want to kind of stem from a mindset in Israel. There is an ancient tradition that Israel was the place where creation was first formed. And that's why they're always right in the middle of everything, or or, or thought to be, right in the center of it all. I I, I wish I would have brought this map. It has Israel right in the center, and then all these... Other nations kind of (laughs) like shooting off from it. Um, So, if Israel, in your mind, is the center of everything, let me ask you this. What city, what city will be in the center of Israel? Okay, what city, let's try over here, would be in the center of Israel? Jerusalem. Ah, okay. So in the center of the center is a city. Yeah, we all have to go to Jerusalem and we all have to go there three times a year and do our worship. What will be the center of, of Jerusalem? God's house, the temple. That's right. Okay. So now at the center of the center of the center is a house. What's in the center of the house? The Holy of Holies. Okay. So what's in the Holy of Holies? The ark, and the ark is sitting on a stone. In rabbinic literature, this stone is called the Evan HaShetiah, the foundation stone. So you're telling me that in the center of the center of the center is this religion and this system and this framework seated on a stone called the foundation stone in Zion. Maybe... It's conceivable that this group of people thinks that that is what we need to be building our lives around. That's what we need to be trusting in. If only they would have just not gone after other gods and they would have just done this right. Then when the overwhelming scourge passes through the land, we would have been saved. 
So we're going to dedicate our whole lives to that thing. Maybe. I want to read something that Jesus said. And this doesn't change what Jesus said. I think it just sort of adds to the thrust of Jesus and who we've discovered him to be. Someone who doesn't do anything apart from the text. Who doesn't think or illustrate anything apart from uh, interpreting and re-showing the, the text. So stand with me and read Luke 6, verse 46. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Like a sign of intimate relationship. And don't do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid foundation on a rock. When the flood came and the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built this house on a ground without foundation. The moment that torrent struck the house, it was collapsed into a heap of ruins. It's the very words of God. Zach, Zach, have a seat. Or stand, if you wish. So this is the last thing that Jesus says out of the uh, end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever delivered. But it's only not—it's not the last thing. I believe that it's also that it's also right in the middle of something, and and we're going to look at the next two stories that follow this, because I think that there's um, a little bit of a direction here planned. Okay, so Will and Rod have recently been going through this sermon, right? We've been seeing some propositions. Today we see a parable, and we're going to see a picture. There have been some propositions about what to do. Jesus is saying, this is my family, uh, this is my family rules, or, or what we're going for, or this is my yoke, this is what I want you to shoot for in words. Things like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He's saying things like, don't judge, don't condemn, but forgive. Proposing that we live a life like that. And he gives a parable like this where he says, this is the weightiness of what I'm talking about here. you got to build on this. And we have a couple stories. And I love these stories for several different reasons. But Rod showed us last week that Jesus is really laying out discipleship. And I like that because he, the disciple, somebody that follows him. And so it would be one thing if he said, I want you to be my disciple. This is what it's going to look like. Now go try. And I just sit here and watch from underneath my fig tree and tell you how you did it wrong. <laughs> it's another thing when he says, this is, this is what it's going to be like. This is what I'm going to be like. And follow me and watch what I do. Build your foundation on me. In the uh, Hebrew Bible, the people that show discipleship, I think, the best are Elijah and Elisha. Nobody's more zealous than Elijah. 
I love that Jesus gets confused for Elijah a few times. <laughs> Tells you that he's not just some soft-spoken theologian sitting around somewhere. This is Jesus. And these stories I love too because they show a lot of the life of Elijah and Elisha, or at least a, a ton of parallels between these two things. Fitting for a rabbi who is discipling people to, to, to put these stories here, right? These stories show us a little bit about what's flowing from this conversation about building on a foundation. Because these two stories show us about houses that might be in the storm right now. I think that's important uh, for two reasons. Number one, I think that's really important because we're all building something. We're always building something towards something, forming something, doing things. We got to ask the questions that Qumran and them were asking. What's the foundation? What should I be building on? What am I building on? And number two, these stories show us a man who may be trustworthy and strong enough to have us build our lives around. Let's look at them. 7 verse 1. After Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum. What's a Capernaum? Um... Rod showed a picture, I got a map of this area, and um, it's a, a Capernaum is up at the top here, in, under Kortzen, and um, I have a lot to say, there's a lot to be said about Capernaum, but I'm going to skip it, let's suffice it to say, this is a real town, you can go there someday, <laughs> it's a, Jesus goes to a real town and interacts with a real person who has real problems. And addresses some things that we, in a real world, can see. Capernaum. In Capernaum, verse 2, there was a a Roman soldier, a centurion, who had a servant that he valued highly. He was sick, and he was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus, and he sent some elders to the Jews, asking, Come and heal this servant. They came to Jesus and they pleaded earnestly with him, saying, This man deserves to have you do this. He loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. And so Jesus left and went with them. This is an odd story a little bit as you start to really think about it. There's some things here that just don't make sense. I mean, why is this Roman loving this servant so much? I mean, it's okay, the servant's getting sick, throw him away. I mean, dime a dozen, right? Somehow, this servant has become really valuable to this Roman. I don't know why. <laughs> I was, if you thought that was going to tell you, I don't know. Maybe he knew the combination to the safe, you know, and he was the only one that knew that, so he was really important. I don't, maybe he's like Blair and Gerota or Alfred and uh, Bruce Wayne or something, and he is like, just become part of the family. Something tells me that that's a little bit more like that. He really values this relationship either way. Somebody that means a lot to this, per, to, to this soldier. Another thing that doesn't add up is why this Roman is going to help from this rabbi. <laughs> Roman is a superior race. He's got money. He's got options. He's a soldier of soldiers. He could go to a sloppy and he could do anything. And he goes to this rabbi. 
I see this story, starts to tell me that maybe he's running out of options. Have you ever watched someone get sick? This isn't a very easy thing to do, especially for men who want to fix it. You know, how many pillows can you give someone (laughs) if you just watch them, just can't fix it, feel completely helpless? Valuable person starting to slip away. His servant was sick and he's about to die. I've tried everything. We tried everything. I've got all the doctors. I did all the right things. I don't know how to fix this. Slipping away. Somebody's got a bright idea of this rabbi that's been healing people. I know it's a long shot, but we got to try. Jesus sounds like a long shot to some of us, I know. See what, this, see what happens next. Verse 6 and a half. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you to come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. I'm a man under authority too, with soldiers under me. Tell this one go, and he goes. Tell this one come, and he comes. Say to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I haven't found such a great faith in all of Israel. I don't know why this other group shows up at Jesus. And my imagination tells me that maybe they're sitting in the house thinking, where is this guy? <laughs> What's taking him so long? Servant starts to choke a little bit, starts to breathe and heavy. He's coming in and out of consciousness. And he's like, come on, somebody else go. And the servant's like, uh, maybe his friend around them says, you know what? He's a Jew. They don't go to Gentile houses. Who are we think- what were we thinking that he could come to our house and become unclean by coming in here? Go tell him. I got a feeling about this guy that he's got something, some authority coming from behind him. I believe that he can do this from a distance. Tell him. Just say the word. Just say the word and it shall be done. So they go up to Jesus and tell this to him and he loves it. This guy's house right now is in a storm. I know a lot of our houses can easily come into this same storm because we all deal with sickness and we all deal. We even have relationships that are slipping away, don't we? Don't go there, Dan Mike. You don't know what kind of pit I get in my stomach when I think about going home for Christmas and seeing my dad or my brother. It's a storm there. Or may, maybe you're like the girl who always wanted approval from her father, but no outfit was ever modest enough, no grade was ever good enough, no boy was ever good enough. So the straw broke the camel's back this year, and she went and married him anyways, and hasn't talked to her dad all year, and now we got to figure out Christmas. Do I... Do I talk to him or not? This relationship used to mean a lot to me. It was highly valued and it's slipping away right in front of me. 
He told her that she, he needed some space, but she didn't realize the holidays were included. And now she's got to figure out what to do at Christmas. Do I go to my family with all this shame? How do I do this? Jesus might be a long shot, but say the word and it shall be done. Jesus, you might be far away and you might feel like, he might feel like he's far away. But Jesus responds to this kind of faith that says, I'm going to put you where you belong, on the throne of this planet. I'm going to put you where you belong and say, here you go. I'm laying this down in front of you right now. Say the word and it shall be done. I believe that you can do this. My house is in storm right now. What's your foundation? What have you been building on? Verse 11. Those friends get back to the house. And I'll bet you that servant answered the door. (laughs) Can I get you something? Soon afterward... Jesus went to a town called Nain. It was on the map, if you saw it, 20 miles southwest. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the city gate, there was a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. We have a picture here of a crowd meeting a crowd. Say Jesus is on a a float going down Monroe Center, and as he hits division, there's a big black car with a flag on the front of it and a hundred behind it, and they're not stopping at red lights. This is a widow who just lost her most valuable relationship. This is a house that has been devastated. She's in a storm right now, and it's a heap of ruins. She's moving into a devastation that is unrepairable damage. It's not a Hail Mary pass like the last story. It's game over. My most valuable relationship is dead. I know that we can go a hundred different ways for all of our stories. I mean, maybe some of you this Christmas don't have somebody that you had before who's, who's passed away. How are we going to do this without grandpa or, or mom or dad? And, or, I, I know that there's so many different deaths that could happen even emotionally. You know, I, I started making a list this week and it just got so long. I didn't know what to do with it, you know. <laughs> a lot of us feel like, you know, that one thing is just like this... Cobra sitting in front of us, you know, and I can't, I can't go there. I can't touch that or I'm going to get bit. Parents who get weird news from their children and then say, you're dead to me now. Uh, brothers and sisters who hurt each other's feelings, maybe one too many paper cuts, say, I don't want anything to do with you. And the list goes on and on. But I think the thing that grieves me most is when one of those serpents, you know, raises up its head towards the heavens and says, where are you in this? 
If your God loves me so much, he sure has a funny way of showing it. I don't want anything to do with a God that would let this happen. How could such a loving God let my child die? How could such a loving God let this happen to me? If he sees me right now in this pain, I don't want anything to do with it. Where is he? You know why this story is in the Bible? Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw the woman, his heart went out to her. He saw her and his heart went right to her and he said, No, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Don't cry anymore. This isn't just a picture of two crowds. I think it reminds me of the two kingdoms. The kingdom of man on one side full of corruption, death, sin. And the kingdom of God that looks at that and says, I have come to repair that. It is not unrepairable damage. It's not something that I can't do. I'm here for this. It's not out of reach. Jesus runs up to the coffin. He stops it. And he said to the dead man, get up. And his pale gray face starts to get color back into it again. And he sits up. He says, your mom is right here. People are amazed at this and call him a prophet. Maybe that's another Elijah, Elisha reference. But then other people say, no, 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 no. God has come to help his people. It's verse 16. God has come to help his people today. This is who Jesus is. This is who we celebrate on Christmas. God has come to help. When's the last time you saw him as your help? I need your help right now because my most valuable relationship is slipping away. I need your help right now because my house is in the middle of a storm and it's going to be a heap of ruins in a matter of seconds. I need your help right now. All this damage is beyond repair. Just say the word and it shall be done. What have you been building on? Who's your foundation? You could join the Qumran community this morning and say, we want to build on leaders and we want to build on the right president and we want to get the right activists and the right athlete and and we'll emulate everything and build everything that we got on the right uh, pastor. You build that house up. Build that house up. When the storms come, when the rain comes, that's going down. You got options. You can join the Jerusalem community and say, we've got the stone and we've got the right thing going on here, the right uh, framework of religion, the right system. The right system and, and the right actions. And we do all of the right uh, worship things to it. Uh, we bow down and we build off of education and we build off of our doctrine and we build off of our feelings and we build higher and higher 
when the waters rise, when the wind blows, it's going to be a heap of ruins. Dear Mike, how am I supposed to do this? You build a house on Jesus one brick at a time. One brick at a time where you say, this I surrender to you today. I'm going to center my life around you. I'm going to I'm not going to condemn. I'm not going to judge. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to try and do the things you say to do. Because it's not just about knowing it. He says, he who does my words, who tries, (laughs) just try. And then tomorrow, we lay another brick. And another brick. And eventually, your house isn't going to be exempt from any storm that anybody else goes through. But you will not lose yourself. Your house will not fall. So let's just take a moment and think about these things. Take just 30 seconds, 35, 40, 30, 40 seconds. And I want to just leave you with that challenge. Is there any relationship that's slipping away right now? Any deadness in your life, you know that this is, this is because of sin. And it's an unrepairable thing that's going on in my life. And you feel like there's no way. Start laying bricks together this morning and, and tell the Lord, I trust you. I'm going to put you back where you belong. And, I, and just say the word and, and this healing will come. Take a moment. The person that we center this week around is the person who grabbed the coffin and became unclean. He's a Jew. Come unclean. Touches that dead person's coffin without hesitation. Without hesitation, said, I'm going to the Gentiles' house. I will become unclean so that they can become clean. Without hesitation, I will will die so that they can live.
so that your family can have life, so that our city, so that our world could be rebuilt. This is who we celebrate. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborns, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation because you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by human hands but chosen by God and is precious to Him, you are like living stones yourselves being built up into a house, a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For in Scripture it says of Him, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. To those who believe, this stone is precious. Just pray with me. Thank you. If anybody would like to just pray out a prayer of thanks, you're welcome to.